Our Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us to enter into your courts. We do so with praise and with expectation. For you've given us many promises and have demonstrated your love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are grateful that we have not been left alone, but that in your infinite wisdom, you placed us in the community of the saints, in your household where we can be nurtured and fed and strengthened and encouraged. Even today, today we have assembled with the saints to come to the glorious table of our Lord and Savior, where we might commune with you and with one another in him. Father, help us to never take this privilege lightly or to grow weary in well-doing. Stir us up afresh and fill our hearts with rejoicing. As your word is preached, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to convict us of our sins, to instruct our minds and to move our hearts and to conform us more and more to the image of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our text today is from Psalm, or is Psalm 141. Hear now the word of the living God. Lord, I cry out to you, make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous... Strike me, it shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff, and they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth. That my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. I do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. Maybe seated. We continue our series of sermons on words, the power of words, how words bring about change. Words are a form of behavior, a form of action that either accomplish good things or wicked things. And today's sermon brings some words for busybodies and talebearers, people who have their own storehouse of words. These are slippery vipers who lay camouflage in the bush. But the Bible wants us to be on the lookout for these fork-tongued serpents and to avoid them at all cost. And like David did in Psalm 140, we ask the Lord, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Perverse, uh, preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen 
their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asp is under their lips. And so they hide under the guise of things like concern and prayer request. And I just thought you ought to know. And bless her heart. But today we're going to get out the spotlight of Scripture and shine it in those dark places. We're going to expose the little snake before it can strike again. Our text I want to deal with up front um, from Psalm 141 just to point out a few things. And we'll begin in verse 3 because I think verse 3 gives us a great prayer to begin with. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. David knows and we know that the tongue is related to the heart, and the heart is related to the tongue. Verse 4. David and all the righteous long to be known as those who have control over their tongues, and this is because of a spirit-infused and directed heart one display of this reception is excuse, one display of this is a reception of correction. And of course, when we sit under the Word of God, that's one of the things the Word of God does is it corrects us. And we don't resist that and dodge that and try to think about other people. We ask for that. We receive that. We welcome that. That's what the righteous do. They they want to know the truth about themselves and to know if there's sin, to know if I'm using my tongue in this case in an inappropriate way. David's psalm concludes with an offer to be gracious to others when distresses and evils fall upon them. He assures them that his prayers will be for them and with them and that they'll be regular because David himself has faced opposition and this is the historical occasion of this psalm. He has been trained through how he has been treated. Has anyone ever been a busybody in your, toward you? Has anyone ever been a talebearer, a gossip about you? Have you ever felt that? David had. Through the lies and the tales uttered against him and about him. And so, in verse 5, the last part of verse 5, he pledges not to act that way toward others. They will be overthrown, and David will not gloat about it, those who are liars and tailbearers. The destruction of others, the damage caused, and the strife of tongues will have caused enough carnage without him adding to it. Verses 6 and 7. He would rather focus on what pleases the Lord and will focus on the Lord instead of those who did him so much harm. And so it's always a good place for us to get some perspective, to recognize that Yes, we've been the recipients of these things, but it's likely, too, that we have been guilty of these things. I want to just, in a very simple way today, just talk about three things. Busybodies, talebearers, and then we'll save the third one for last. Busybodies. Jane Austen said, every man is surrounded by a neighborhood of voluntary spies. A busybody is someone who pries, sometimes very subtly. Oh, you know, never, it's oftentimes not that overt, I'm out to, get, I'm going door to door asking for information. 
very subtly, tuning in, listening to conversations and noticing this and noticing that, very quietly gathering information about all kinds of people. All interested in the affairs of others. They, more than anything else, want to know what's going on. They want their finger on the pulse. They want to know about everybody else's life, their marriages and their kids and their finances. We need that information. Again, they have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in the church or the neighborhood or the school or at the office. It's a kind of power position. Information is power. And if I have a lot of information, uh, I may not use it, but I can. And I like knowing that I can. I like having that just in case. And even, so even if I don't, if they don't always use that information, they do have it at their disposal if they need it. The, the busybody is constantly then making deposits in the account of contention. The irony of the busybody, though, is that they're not busy doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. They have too much time on their hands. The house is a mess. The work is undone. The Bible hasn't been read. There's no time for prayer. They're too busy with everybody else's business. Plenty of time to gather information. Plenty of time to talk. Plenty of time to surf the net. Plenty of time to do all kinds of things to be a busybody. Now, there are three passages that speak to the busybody directly, and, and a number of passages that speak indirectly. I want to mention the three that address this directly. Second Thessalonians 3, verse 11 and 12 says, Paul, Paul writes, and says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, here's the remedy, we command and exhort in our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Let me translate. Take care of your own work that God's given you to do and close your mouth. You have things that are important to do in your life, in your family, in your marriage, with your kids. Be busy about that and do it in quietness. 1 Timothy 5.13 Speaking of, in this particular case, some women who didn't have anything to do. And he says, and besides, they learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. So we see this connection of idleness and laziness and uh, nothing else to do but to go around gathering information. In this case, they went house to house, but they're in our day with all the new means of communication, telephones work just fine. And Internet works just fine, and uh, there are all kinds of other ways to do this. But he says, they say things that they ought not to say. Have you ever said things you ought not to have said? So, you know, we, we all recognize we have the potential, if not the possibility, if not the probability, 
uh, that these are problems that we deal with. 1 Peter 4, 14 through 16 is the other passage. If you are, here's the context, sometimes the Christians were being persecuted by those outside the church and because they were Christians, because they were doing the right thing. And he says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. If people are mistreating you because you're such a godly person, he says, God bless you. God is going to bless that. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer, and look at this list here, none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. I wonder why busybodies are put in the same class with murderers and thieves. Because they murder and they steal. They kill other people. And they take their name. And they take what's not theirs to take. They're thieves. They're murderers. They're evildoers. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So he says, you know what? Now if you're a murderer, a thief or an evildoer, or a busybody, you deserve whatever you get. So again, being a busybody and a talebearer are related to laziness. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke of judgment for every idle word, and the word he used referred to unemployed words, lazy words, inactive words that don't accomplish much good. Moreover, the busybody also has a false sense of their own moral superiority. C.S. Lewis has a great quote about this. Of all the tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victim may be the most oppressive. It may be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. So the busybody often thinks that they're helping everybody out. They're keeping everybody informed. They're they're concerned. Well, a sin that's like a busybody gathers information, but now they got information. What are you going to do with that? Well, that's where we come into the next sin. Sins usually come in groups. And so usually the flip side to the busybody coin is the tale bearer or the gossip. Now, gossip comes in a variety of flavors all the way from trivia to malicious slander and everything in between. I do wish that they had actual tales so that we could see them coming. Instead of wagging their tails, though, they wag their tongues. But remember, whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. So let me define gossip. Gossip is inappropriate communication 
about someone else to inappropriate others at inappropriate times and inappropriate ways. Gossip and slander involve the unrighteous use of true or false information concerning another person. So it's not always false. It could be. That would be a slander, a lie about someone. But can you use the truth to hurt someone? Ephesians 4 calls us to speak the truth in love, implying that it's possible to speak the truth without love. Well, I'm just being honest. I just like to be blunt. I just like to tell it like it is because I am such a good person. And I am so committed to the truth. Well, you know, in the Bible, the truth has to always be wedded with love. And when it's separated from love, it ceases to be the truth. Such truth-telling, in this case, has its purpose, as its purpose, the harming of our neighbor, and therefore it's sin. Tail-bearing involves an entire anatomy of evil workings, the mouth, the ears, the heart are involved, the feet, even the fingertips as they briskly move smoothly over the keys of a keyboard or a cell phone scamper to give or gather news. While the technology might be neutral, men are not. Now, instead of gossip being able to ruin a reputation in a local community, the World Wide Web can now spread malice to the globe. This gives a person a megaphone with which they can send. All you need is a keyboard, a service provider. All the while, the gloss or the veneer of concern, of importance, of necessity, just plain keeping people in the loop is wrapped over the whole thing like a big bow. Proverbs 11.13, A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. Proverbs 18.8, The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Proverbs 20.19, The words of a talebearer are, again, like It's the same verse, essentially, just repeating this, like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost part of the body. Again, repeated twice in Proverbs. Now, I don't normally like much of what Bertrand Russell has to say, but he was right when he said, no one ever gossips about other people's virtues. The rabbis link the sins of gossip and slander together. To speak ill of another without them present to answer, to refute, to repent, or clarify is to tear down and to destroy. Jesus spoke of slander as murder since it violates the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, and the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. The force of these commandments, of course, is to promote love toward our neighbors. I want to read two of the questions and answers from the larger catechism, Westminster Larger Catechism. Question 144. Remember, the way the catechism works, there's a question posed, and then then those who wrote it went to the Bible and said, what did the Bible, how did the Bible answer this question? (coughs) So I'm not going to provide all the references here, but I'll just give the statement. Question 144. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? 
The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth and from the heart sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all other things. Whosoever a charitable, whatsoever a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, a ready receiving of a good report, and unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, and concerning them discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care of our own good name and defending it when need requires, keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. Question 145, what are the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment? In other words, again, not bearing false witness here is the ninth commandment. The answer, the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment are all prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors, as well as our own, especially in public judicature, giving false evidence, suborning false witness, willingly appearing and pleading for an evil cause, outfacing and overbearing the truth, passing unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, concealing the truth. Why? This is why in Leviticus 19.16 it speaks of our relationship with one another and the way we speak of one another and says, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Because you are, belong to the Lord and because the Lord is about truth and about loving your neighbor, you have an obligation, I have an obligation not to do damage, not to kill the good name or the name, period, of our neighbor. Slander takes the sin of gossip to a new and lower level. Slander is a malicious, false, and defamatory statement or report. It carelessly or intentionally fabricates a lie or distorts, twists, spins, or otherwise misrepresents the truth about someone else. And so it is a form of bearing false witness. Slander is murder with words. Proverbs 11.9 With his mouth the godless man destroys his neighbor. A few other passages from Proverbs. Proverbs 14.25 A truthful witness saves lives, but he who speaks lies is treacherous. Proverbs 19.5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. Psalm 15.3, who shall dwell with Jehovah? That's a pretty good question to be able to answer. Proverbs 15.3, he who slanders not with his tongue, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor. Proverbs 10.18, 
He who utters a slander is a fool. In 1 Peter 3.10, he who would love life and see good days. Is that you? Would you love life and see good days? Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile, no malice. A man went up to his pastor to unload his guilt about his act of gossiping. So he asked his pastor, well, what is the effect of that? What, what exactly is done? And so the pastor asked him to go back home to take a feather pillow and a knife up to the roof on a high building, give it a slash, and see what happens. And so he did as he was told, and there were feathers flying everywhere as far as he could see. And then he, the man returned to the pastor to report that he had done what he said, and the pastor proceeded to ask the man then to go and retrieve each and every feather that escaped from the pillow. That sums it up beautifully. Each and every word, no matter how juicy, whether with malicious intent or not, that escapes from our mouths can never be retrieved. So the harm and the hurt are done. Gossip and slander also promote strife and conflict. Pastor Wilson offered this exhortation on the words of Proverbs 16:28, which says, A perverse person sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Here's what he said. Whenever a crop of strife arises, we know from the word of God that someone has been farming. We know also from this passage that one of the techniques used in this sowing is that of destructive whispering, gossiping. The one who sows discord takes someone aside, feigning concern or something else very spiritual. No one ever says, hello, I'm out. I am an out-of-control gossip and I have come to destroy all your friendships. But if we heed the scripture at this point, we will see that the separation of friends is commonly associated with the surrounding talk. Someone has aptly said that it takes two friends to wound you. One to say something unkind, and the other one to get the word out right away. Chrysostom said that thou art talkative and has a weakness. Talk of your own faults to God. Thus the weakness will no longer be a weakness, but an advantage. Talk of your own faults to your friends, those who are thorough friends and righteous men, and in whom you have confidence, so that they may pray for you and your sins. If you speak of the sins of others, you are in no way profited, neither have you gained anything, but you have ruined yourself. God's word is clear about this. There is no wiggle room. There is no escape hatch. This is simply forbidden. And the Lord addresses the practice of bearing tales or telling stories and carrying them around to others. And he does so as the call of hope to holiness is presented. This is the nature of holiness, of obedience, of rightly bearing the name of the triune God. Proverbs 26 20 through 22. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. 
As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. And the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. Again, that's the same passage, and they go down into the inmost body. Talebearers do not simply bear tales and tidbits and stories and juicy information. What they really bear is strife. They disrupt fellowship and friendship and family. That's why Matthew Henry commented about Proverbs 26. He said, we must not give ear to talebearers. For they feed the fire of contention with fuel, nay, they spread it with combustible matter. The tales they carry are fireballs. Those who, by insinuating base characters, revealing secrets, and misrepresenting words and actions, do what they can to make relations, friends, and neighbors jealous one of another, to alienate them from another, and sow discord among them, They are to be banished out of families and all societies, and then strife will as surely cease as the fire will go out when it has no fuel. Now, I said I was going to mention a third category. We've got busybodies, gather information, tail bearers who then feel the need to pass it on. But there's a third person. Those who receive the tales. In Scripture, this sin is obviously related to the tongue, to our speech and communication, but it's also related to our ears. Gossip is found in the sending and the receiving of inappropriate information. Gossip is not simply related then to the tongue and the ears. It's also intimately related to the heart. And we must remember, for gossip and slander to do its murderous works, there have to be recipients. The famous hymn writer William Cowper said, Whoever keeps an open ear for tattlers, whoever keeps an open ear for tattlers will be sure to hear the trumpet of contention. So to be clear, when we receive gossip, we are guilty of the sin of gossiping. Let me say that again. When we receive gossip, we're guilty of the sin of gossip. It takes two to tango, and it takes two to gossip, at least two. We now have millions who feed regularly on this degrading roughage. There are many who regularly eavesdrop or lurk in the blogosphere, for example. I trust none of you are engaged in that gossip. So if someone comes to you and opens up something about someone else that's not praise, that is not thanksgiving, a number of questions ought to spring from your mouth. So let me give you some very practical counsel here, and we'll wrap up with this. Number one, why are you telling me this? Do I have a need? Do I have a right to know this? Do I need to know what you're telling me? Is this even appropriate to speak about? Is this part of my responsibility? Is this my jurisdiction, my place, my office, my function, my role? That's the first thing we ought to ask. I don't need to know everything, and neither do you. Now, if, if that question receives an acceptable answer, then number two, we need to know where did you get your information 
Is this some kind of personal vendetta, some axe to grind, some slice of immaturity that needs to be sent back to the shop? If this is not some kind of valid concern, something that is more than, I think I heard her say, then it needs to be sent to the scrap heap. Is it the truth? Has it been verified by two or three witnesses? Have you gone to the source to find out, to inquire, to ask, can this be righteously concealed? And so if it passes these two, if, it has, if, if I have a right to know, and if the information is valid information, those, both of those must be there. Number three... I love this question. This often sends gossips away and they don't come back. What do you want me to do about this? See, usually gossips don't really want you to do anything about it. They just want to tell you. They want to poison the well. They want to to do something to hurt somebody else. So they want to tell you so you'll feel bad about them. And they can't really do anything. Now that I have this knowledge, why have you involved me in this? You come to me, and I'm not really just, I'm not interested in being a busybody and collecting data, trafficking in knowledge. I'm not a repository. And so, number four, my next question, your next question should be this. When do you intend to go and deal with this? Because if you don't, I will. When do you intend to go deal with this? And if you don't, I will. I'll be happy to go with you. I'll be happy to help. But what I'm not going to do is just receive this. Very importantly, then, there needs to be an urging for the person who is, quote, sharing their concern with you to be sent to action, to go deal with it. Dealing with it may be dropping it or getting over it. You may encourage them that love covers a multitude of sins and they need to move on. And they need to cover it with full forgiveness or they need to confront it with love and humility and for the honor of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of those again so you remember. Somebody comes to you. Why are you telling me? Where did you hear this? What do you want me to do about it? When are you going to do something about it? This is an urging for Christ to be honored, for Christ's peace to reign supreme, and for the person to stop talking about it and start doing what is necessary. Let's pray. Lord and Master of my life, deliver me from the spirit of laziness, meddling, and gossip. May I not be a busybody or a talebearer. Give me the spirit of prudence, humility, patience, and love. Grant that I may see my sins and faults and not judge my brother. Please continue to help me so that I may use my tongue rightly to be charitable when speaking of others, and to be ever ready to support them rather than wound them. May I do all of this for the sake of Christ and His church, for we pray in His name. Amen. Communion.
is a picture of community. These are two words that are both comprised of the notion of a common unity. That means we look after one another. It also means that in one sense we are involved in each other's lives. That is, we recognize that we are one body and therefore there's always an interest. Some things are our legitimate business since God has called us to love and to serve and to pray for and to comfort and to exhort and to rebuke and to weep and to rejoice with one another and much more. That means that we'll need to spend time together, we'll need to build trust, and that we'll need to know some of everybody's business. The Apostle Paul goes on to tell us that we're to speak the truth in love so that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, even Christ, for, for whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Yet part of community, part of loving our neighbor involves not knowing all their business. It calls for discretion and kindness and mercy and grace. Wisdom and godliness know when to look the other way, when not to repeat something, when not to receive a report. Love for one another, love for communion, is knowing when and when not to be in somebody else's business. When our hearts are right with God and with our brothers and sisters, then we will have the wisdom to know the difference. To know the difference between a righteous interest and in being a busybody. When we are in communion, gossip cannot be given and cannot be received. And so, let us commune with God now and with one another. Oh Lord, it is often so difficult for us to see our own sins. We're so blinded by our own stubborn wills and our own self-justification and rationalization. We are grateful for your word, which will not leave us alone, but seeks us out and seeks our good. Keep us, O Lord, from going on blindly in some sin. Especially today, we pray that we would not be busybodies or talebearers. Send someone to us rather than let us continue in those sins. Trip us up, shake us up, stir us, open our eyes. And when you enable us to see our sins, give us the grace to own them directly and simply, as David did, and say, against you, you only have I sinned, that you are blameless in your judgment. Give us understanding to see that all sin is ultimately against you, a violation of your holy law and heinous in your sight. Let us be sensitive to our sins, slow to speak words of self-defense, and quick to confess to you and others. Restore to us the joy of your salvation that we may teach transgressors your ways. Let us seek and hear often these words, The Lord also has put away your sin. But let us also see clearly the consequences of our sin often remain, even when you have forgiven. Hold this truth before us as we face temptation, 
and keep us from lightly yielding to sin and counting merely on the assumption that it will be forgiven. Show us the horrible results of our sins upon our family, our congregation, ourselves, and most of all, upon your glory before men. When such consequences befall us, let us acknowledge that your judgments are just and that you work all things, even these consequences, together for good for your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Amen.